Turn, please, to Ezekiel in chapter 12. Ezekiel chapter 12. I want to read this whole chapter. Ezekiel chapter 12. Upon finding that, please pray with me. Father in heaven, we pray that you would uh, banish from our minds distractions and thoughts contrary to Christ, that we might hear this word, turn, I pray, our affections towards him and him alone, enable us uh, to hear, uh, Father, this word and to to grow in wisdom and knowledge in such a way that the very promises of God bring life to us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, Uh, amen. Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious house. As for you, son of man, prepare for yourself an exile's baggage and go into exile by day in their sight. You shall go like an exile from your place to another place in their sight. Perhaps they will understand, though they are a rebellious house. You shall bring out your baggage by day in their sight as baggage for exile, and you shall go out yourself at evening in their sight, as those do who must go into exile. In their sight, dig through the wall and bring your baggage out through it. In their sight, you shall lift the baggage upon your shoulder and carry it out at dusk. You shall cover your face that you may not see the land, for I have made you a sign for the house of Israel. As I did, and I did as I was commanded, I brought out my baggage by day as baggage for exile, and in the evening I dug through the wall with my own hands. I brought out my baggage at dusk, carrying it on my shoulder in their sight. In the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord, This oracle concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all in the house of Israel who are in it. Say, I am a sign for you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall go into exile, into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall lift his baggage upon his shoulder at dusk and shall go out. They shall dig through the wall to bring him out through it. He shall cover his face that he may not see the land with his eyes. And I will spread my net over him and he shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Chaldeans. Yet he shall not see it and he shall die there. And I will scatter toward every wind all who are around him, his helpers and all his troops. And I will unsheath the sword after them. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I disperse them among the nations and scatter them among the countries. But I will let a few of them escape from the sword, from the famine and pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the nations where they go and may, and may know that I am the Lord. And the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, eat your bread with quaking and drink water with trembling and with anxiety and say to the people of the land, Thus says the Lord God concerning the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink water in dismay. In this way, her land will be stripped of all, of all it contains on account of the violence of all those who dwell in it. And the inhabited city shall be laid waste and the land shall become a desolation and you shall know that I am the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, what is this proverb that you have about the land of Israel saying, the days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? Tell them therefore... 
Thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. Say to them, the days are near and the fulfillment of every vision. For there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak and it will be performed. It will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord. Now, you remember that <clears throat> Ezekiel has been called by God to not only speak but enact various prophetic words. That is to say, as they watch him, they're to be listening for God. And what they don't get as he enacts it, he speaks to them. And we're coming into a section now of this prophetic book where the people of in exile, the Israelites who are in exile in Babylon, bring objections to what Ezekiel is prophesying. But before we get to that, we have one final enactment to kind of put it all together. You might remember we meet Ezekiel and he, he meets God, you remember he receives the word of God and then God calls him um, to, to build a city very much the same way a little boy would build a city and, and make war against it. So he builds this play city and he brings siege against it to illustrate that God is about to bring judgment upon Jerusalem. You remember that there have already been some judgments, if you will, against Jerusalem. Uh, there had been two exiles already, where the Babylonians had come in and exiled some out of the city of Jerusalem into Babylon. Because the, the strategy, the political war strategy of the Babylonians was to take people from their home country and bring them into their own and mix them. And if they were mixed enough, then they would lose everything. They would lose their culture, they would lose everything, and so they would no longer be a strong people. And so that's what was happening here. And so some years before, Daniel and, and others had been exiled. And some years after that, Ezekiel and others had been exiled. And now we find ourselves in the year 592 B.C. And God is prophesying now that Jerusalem will be destroyed. He does that by this play acting of, of Ezekiel against this city that he built. He also tells Ezekiel to take an iron skillet and put it in front of his face as if to say the face of God is hidden from Jerusalem. He tells Ezekiel to, to lay on his side for a certain number of days and lay on his other side for a certain number of days to illustrate that, again, the judgment is going to come upon them. He tells Ezekiel that he's to eat a very meager rations to say that there's going to be a famine in the land and everything about the land is going to be defiled because you remember that God first told him he was to cook this over human excrement but now he's, he backed off of that so that Ezekiel himself wouldn't be defiled but to, 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 to cook it over cow dung. So you see all of this taking place. The people see all of this uh, taking place. He tells Ezekiel to shave his head and to cut off his beard and take the hairs from his head and his beard and do a variety of things with him. All that says that there's going to be judgment upon Jerusalem. And then we see this picture, as we did last Sunday, of God himself departing, of God himself leaving Jerusalem. And there they find themselves now without the very presence of God. 
But again, God calls Ezekiel to, to enact a prophecy. And he says, here's what I want you to do today, Ezekiel. I want you to get your luggage, whatever that might be for a man in exile. And I want you to prepare it as if someone going into exile. They'll all know what you're doing because they've all done this. Because Ezekiel is one who is in exile. So they, all the exiles view this and they watch Ezekiel spend the day sort of packing his bag, getting ready to go. And then he says in the evening, what I want you to do in full view of all the people, because by then I suspect Ezekiel was quite a sight that everybody was watching him. And he said, I want, now tonight in the evening, I want you to begin to, to put a hole in the wall. Now, we don't know if that was the, hall of, uh, the wall of his, his house going outside or the wall of the fence or the courtyard around it, whichever. So I want you to begin. I want you to take out enough bricks and so forth. I want you to make a hole there. I want you to pull yourself through it. I want you to pull your baggage through it. I want you to go to, go to another place. And the next morning, it appears as if as he returns, that the people who are in exile there, the Israelites who are in exile there, say to him, Ezekiel, what's this mean? And Ezekiel says to the Lord, what's this mean? The Lord says to him, here's what this means. It means that there's going to be the last final siege upon Jerusalem and there will be exile. And what you've illustrated is the exile of the prince, the exile of the king. In fact, you can read in 1 Kings chapter 25 exactly what takes place because what takes place is the king Zedekiah, who is the king in Jerusalem, the puppet king in Jerusalem at this time, uh, flees as the siege upon the city happens. And he flees through a hole in the wall. And he flees through this hole in the wall with all those about him, but he's captured. And, and his sons and his troops are all captured with him. And you remember Ezekiel was told that when he goes out to enact this prophetic word that he's to cover his eyes. And so when... Zedekiah is captured. His sons are killed right before him. And his eyes are plucked out. And he'll never see the land to which he's going. And he'll never again see the land from which he's come. Because he'll die in Babylon. And then God says to Ezekiel, Now I want you, when you eat these meager rations that you have... When you eat them, I want you to eat them with a trembling hand. When you pick up your utensils in order to eat, I want your hands to be shaking. And when you pick up the cup with a little bit of water that you're allowed to drink, I want your hands to be shaking. I want people to see fear in your body. I want people to see fear in your eyes because that's what's going to happen when Jerusalem falls. They'll be afraid. But it's interesting. The end of all that, the Lord comes and he speaks to Ezekiel about these objections that the people seem to have to these prophetic words. Notice in verse 21 of Ezekiel 12. It says, And the word of the Lord came to me, that is to Ezekiel, Son of man, what is this proverb that you have about the land uh, of Israel, saying, The days grow long, and every vision comes to nothing. In other words, the people are saying, We've heard this before. We've been hearing this a long time. In fact, if you go all the way back to Moses, he was saying that if we're not in covenant with God, and if we don't walk with him, then disaster will come upon us and judgment will come upon us. But you know, we're still around and Jerusalem is still there. So we've heard this over and over again and nothing ever really happens. So, so why should we believe you, Ezekiel? Plus there are other prophets, God calls false prophets, who are saying everything's okay. There's, there's peace, just relax. So why shouldn't we believe them when in fact nothing ever seems to come of these visions of judgment. And then some backed off that, some, if you'll notice in verse 26. 
says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times far off. In other words, some people are saying, well, perhaps this is going to happen, but not soon. Uh, perhaps this is going to happen, but, but it'll be some other generation's problem to deal with. It really won't be ours to deal with. But of course, God is about to bring the end of Jerusalem. This is 592 B.C. The siege begins in 588 B.C. And remember, we're doing the B.C. thing, so when time is going forward, the numbers are going the wrong way. And so it's only in four years that the siege begins. In six years, everything will be done. But they don't know that. They won't believe that. So God's verdict on their Proverbs, verse 23... Tell them, therefore, says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are near in the fulfillment of every vision, for there shall be no more false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed, it will no longer be delayed. But in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord. And then he says in verse 28, Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. They couldn't believe, they wouldn't believe. Because they said, oh, it really isn't going to happen, because nothing ever comes of these things. That reminded me of a more modern version of that. Turn to Second Peter in chapter 3. You've already heard this, as we were singing, this passage was read to you. Second Peter in chapter 3, because Peter's dealing with the same kind of thing. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions or prophecies of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And what I'm trying to do here as I write this second letter is stir you up. And what I'm really trying to stir you up with, my stirring stick, is the prophetic words that have come before you and the words of Jesus that have been communicated to you through the apostles. No doubt the words of the prophets that said you need to walk and live a holy life before God. You need, you need to obey Him by faith. You need to walk with Him lest judgment comes. So I want to stir you up to holy living. And he says, verse 3, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing. That's what scoffers do. Not telling us anything we don't know there, but it's helpful. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their sinful desires. They will see, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? That is... Does anything ever really come to these things? We've been hearing all this while that the day of the Lord is coming. We heard it from the prophets of old that the day of the Lord will come. And when the day of the Lord will come, judgment will come. But we haven't seen that yet. And then Jesus comes on the scene and we hear from him. The day of the Lord is going to come. The day of the Lord is going to come. And yet we don't see it. So where is the promise of his coming? And Peter was very sensitive to this whole notion of promises because he's writing to a group of persecuted Christians and he's writing to them to encourage them to hang on to the very promises of God. Notice uh, in verse 3 of chapter 1, as Peter writes, he says, His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Seeing the promises of God, the promises that come to us from God through Christ are precious. They're very important. Grab a hold of them because he says he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. That doesn't mean we become God. It means that we become united with God, accepted by him. And the very spirit of God comes and resides in us, changes our hearts. Thus, we can be those who live to glorify God. Become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So he's saying, listen, these promises are crucial to us. In fact, he says, we have these promises even more certain. Notice in chapter 1, verse 16, uh, Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, where was that? We remember... There was a day in the life of Jesus when he took Peter, James, and John and they went up the mountain. And when they went up the mountain, something very strange happened. Jesus was transfigured before them. That is, his figure went across any boundary they knew. And they saw the glorified Christ. And Moses and Elijah came there with him. And the voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. On that mountain, they saw it. And what they saw was the glorified Christ. They become, became eyewitnesses to his power and coming. Not his first coming. They'd already seen that. And they walked around with him. But here they saw the glorified Christ, the second coming. The second coming didn't happen there. But they saw, they saw it. They saw Jesus. They said, oh yes. That's what the glorified Returning, Christ is like. That's what it means by coming. And so for Peter, the promise of the second coming was very important. It was crucial to him. And of course, as we read throughout the New Testament, we read the great encouragement we have because Christ is returning. There's great hope. The Apostle Paul looks at the suffering of the, of the day and he says, for our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. You see, if there isn't any second coming, there's no glory to be revealed. And if there's no glory to be revealed, this is it, folks. And Paul was saying, no, the glory to be revealed is great. Take good hope. Endure whatever suffering is coming your way right now. Because it will build a glory that is tremendous, that is great, that's worth it. You'll look back and you'll say, that was worth it. Whatever it was that we experienced in those days. And Paul also speaks that this is a, a, a time of holiness. For instance, in, in 1 Timothy, in chapter 4, in verse 8, no, verse 7, 
Paul writes, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's saying, right now, live a godly life. Pursue godliness. Because there's value for here and now, but there's, and there's great value for the life to come as well. So live that out. So for Peter, you see, these promises, the promise of the second coming was crucial. And he was so afraid that these scoffers who would come would turn the hearts, turn the heads of these Christians, and they would no longer believe that Christ was returning. Because he goes on in chapter 2 to speak of false prophets, and the, 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 the false prophecy and the false teaching of the day were two, really. One is that the resurrection had already happened. Not Christ's resurrection, but our resurrection, the resurrection of people. They took when the apostle would write about having been buried with Christ and being risen with Christ, that, oh, it's all done. And that would discourage people because they would live their lives thinking, I hope it's not all done. I hope there's something to come. I hope there's a glory that will be revealed, as Jesus said. And the second heresy was that the day of the Lord had already come. You can read in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2 that the final judgment had already come. Again, a confusion. Yes, judgment had come on Christ and the cross, but still a judgment upon people was to come. Some would be raised to eternal death. Some would be raised to eternal life. But that was still to come the day of the Lord. And so Peter, knowing those heresies, is saying, don't listen to these scoffers. They're saying the same things that, is all, that have always been said. They're saying that there's nothing to these, these words about finality. There's nothing to these words and these visions of Christ returning. Where is the promise of his coming, they said. And here was their rationale. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. That is, creation happened. Everything's the same now as it was then. Verse 5, for they deliberately overlooked this fact. There's something they're not seeing, but notice, it was a deliberate non-seeing. It's a very dangerous thing when we find ourselves out of accord with the Word, with the truth of God. Because the Scripture tells us that there's a willfulness there, a deliberateness there, not to believe. And those who struggle with belief, I appreciate that, but we must be careful. We must be careful. Because the scripture says there's this willingness in us, there's this desire in us, there's this, this deliberateness about our unbelief. We really don't want to believe. Throughout history, there's been a number of very honest atheists who've come to the fore and said, I had a vested interest in there being no God. Because if there was a God, then I knew that I could no longer think that I can live as I wish. And there's a deliberateness here. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. Here's the fact they deliberately overlooked. That the heavens existed long ago and that the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same word... But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What they missed, you see, was the very power of God. It was the power of God that created this. Therefore, God is powerful to end it. 
You see, the, the earth and the world are not sustained by the laws of nature. The laws of nature are sustained by the word of God. And if God speaks a different word at any moment in time, of course, he intervenes. And he overrules. And he can change. Because he's God and he made that in the first place. They're saying they're missing this fact. And not only are they missing this fact, they're missing the very fact of history. And that is that everything hasn't been the same since creation. They're missing, one event he notices, the flood. That was different. God was saying in the midst of that, that you can't go on living without me. You can't go on living as you wish. When the hearts, of inclination, hearts and inclinations of people are evil continuously, God comes and brings judgment. And he did that then, and he did it as a wake-up call. He did that as a warning shot to say, watch this. Things aren't as they have always been because the flood intervened in the midst of that. And if he did it once, he can do it again. And of course, these people are even missing the very fact of 130 years that preceded this particular moment in time, which Ezekiel is writing. And that 130 years before was when the northern kingdom of Israel was invaded and judged and fell. They missed it. Amos, the prophet, and the other prophets said, that's going to happen. And it did. But they're missing that fact, too. They're overlooking all of that. So God is saying, you can't continue to mock me. You can't continue to worship something other than me. For I will come. But then notice in verse 8, he says, but do not overlook this one fact. Now it's crucial to see there that the audience to whom Peter is writing changes from the scoffers to the Christians. Notice, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. That's the one I picked up today. Um, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, See, before he was talking about the scoffers, here's the fact they overlooked, but he's saying, I don't want you to miss it. You might not be missing it because, because of their um, consideration, but, but, but I don't want you to miss it here because you could easily perhaps overlook these two things. The first being, actually I think there might be three, the first being that time is not kept by God in the same way it's kept by us. And time is not as significant in the same way it is to God, is not as significant to God in the same way it, as it is to us. He says, remember, and he should, could say this because Psalm 90 says it, he says, remember that a day to God is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. That is, God doesn't count time the same way that we do. It's, he doesn't run on chronology. God runs on his own plan. And what's more important to God than numbers of days or years is evil and good. He doesn't react because it's been a long time or hasn't been a long time. He can react in a moment or he can take a while. But that's not really what governs him. Make sure you understand that. Here's what governs him. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing or wanting or willing that any should perish, but that all should reach or come to repentance. It's a very interesting sentence. And I'm going to take it very simply, because when we get to Ezekiel 18, we're going to take a statement like this in much more depth. But here, all we need to say is this. 
that, that, that Peter is saying, you must understand the heart of God and you must understand the plan of God and then you'll understand why there's this delay, why the second coming hasn't already happened. In fact, that'll be a great encouragement to you and you'll rejoice in it. Because the very heart of God is that he's patient. That's who he is. If anybody should know that, it should be the Israelites. In fact, if you read through the Psalms, and I would encourage you, read Psalm 106 this week. Psalm 106 is this rehash of the history of Israel. And it goes something like this. God, uh, we forgot God, then God remembered us. Uh, that's just the history of Israel. Ancient Israel, they forgot God and lived according to their own ways, got in tremendous difficulty, tremendous misery, cried out to God, and he said, okay. And then after he said, okay, and after he came to them, uh, then they went after their own ways again, and then they became in great misery, and then they cried out to God, and God said, okay. And he was patient with them. In fact, in the days of Ezekiel, they, could, they should realize that it took all the, day, all the way from the days of Moses to the days of Ezekiel before he destroyed Jerusalem. They should say, God is wonderfully, wondrously patient with us. He's patient. But interestingly, I would expect him to say, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you scoffers. See, I would, I'm still with the scoffing people. And I think that he should be talking to them. Don't scoff, but repent. But he's not talking to them. No, I think you can say to your average scoffer, don't scoff, repent. But that's not what Peter's doing. Peter's saying... He's patient towards you people, you Christian people. He's patient towards you. That's why there's been this delay, because of God's patience being shown to you, not to them, but to you. Well, how is it that God's patience has been shown to you and me? Think of the day that you came to faith. Some people completely, you know, just nail it and say it was whatever it was. Others of us, it's a little more fuzzy. But think of the day or the time you came to faith. What if... God hadn't been patient towards you and had come the day before. What if the day of the Lord had come the day before you got saved? It would be very unpleasant for you. And he said, that's why I'm delaying. I don't want any of you to perish. I don't want any of my beloved to perish. I don't want any of my sheep to perish. And so you see, knowing that he didn't come I won't tell you what time it is knowing that he didn't come a minute ago tells us that he's still being patient and since he's still being patient it tells us two things one we still have life to live and we still have life to live getting about the work of the, of the master and it tells us the second thing there must be more sheep Get about the work of the master and go call in the sheep. Because the moment he returns, it's up. It's over. But we know he's being patient. So then, for instance, verse 11, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Well, that's it. We ought to be people in lives of holiness and godliness. Waiting for, the hast waiting for and hastening the day, the, the coming of the day of, the, of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies 
will melt as they burn, but according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Again, get on with it. Confess your sin, repent of them, and walk in holiness. Verse 15, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Ah, our salvation is becoming firmer and more clear and more assured, more grounded, more appreciated, more known. We're more blessed by it day by day by day. And his patience, of course, may well mean the salvation of others. Let me end with this. Romans in chapter 13 and verse 11. Besides this, the Apostle Paul writes, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. No matter how long it takes, it's closer today than it was yesterday. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I pray for me and for all of us that we would know, never begin to doubt because Jesus is delaying so long. But rather, we would see in his delay great blessing to us, more days to be grounded even more in your wonderful grace, more days to invite others to know you, more days that they may come and receive you. And the great encouragement to know that as the Lord Jesus delays, that there must be more sheep. And thus we pray, Father, even now, that they would not delay these sheep, but they would hear your voice. They would hear this voice of your word by your spirit calling, to be honest, about their own sin and apathy towards you, that they would even see their disinterest or unbelief as sin against the God of all creation. And Father, that they would then see Christ as their only hope, as the very one who has taken our sin and died and rose again that we might live. Father, that you would grant them the grace to turn from unbelief to belief, from sin to faith. And grasp a hold of Christ. 
We thank you, Father, for every day that you do give to us. That we might live in a way that is pleasing to you with that day and that others may come to faith during those days. And we trust that on the day of your appointment, Father, that our Lord Jesus will come in glory and we will rejoice in his coming and not be ashamed. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. <clears throat> As you do, I remind you that there are elders available to pray, so please take advantage of that. I remind you, too, that we are worshiping those able uh, on Friday evening at 7.15, so please mark that and come as well. The response to the benediction is praise be to God, amen. Now, if you are glad that the Lord delayed so that you could come to faith, then it should be your expression, praise be to God, amen. And if you know those for whom you're praying and desiring to come to faith, and the Lord delays another day, and you see it as a, an opportunity to invite them again to faith in Christ. And you can be saying praise be to God as well. Please receive this as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before his glorious presence and that with great joy. To only wise God and Savior Jesus Christ to be glory, dominion, majesty, and power both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, praise be to God. Amen. <clears throat>